Good morning, Midland Free. Good morning. Hey, my name is Pastor Jeremy. Welcome here. If you're just joining us, we're so glad you're here to worship with us. Look at these guys go. Aren't they awesome? Man. You often don't get to see them because we were make them wear black shirts and hide and stuff like that, but they're always doing really cool wizardry that makes this whole thing come together. And never have I been so impressed as of these last few months, particularly um, throughout the COVID crisis and everything else. For example, you know, when business is normal, we've got all our stuff set here and we're fine and we just kind of come on and tune it in and, you know, it's a little more complex than that, but it's all good. All of a sudden, there's a shutdown, and we have to go virtual, and then we have to do this, and we have to do that. And eventually, we got to go back outside, where essentially what they did is they came in here and stripped out all our equipment that you don't see, stuff that's under stage, stuff in the rafters, lights, cameras, everything, ripped it out in a hurry and threw it out on the lawn and patched it together and made it work, and it was awesome. But then I came in here after that, and I was like, oh my goodness, (laughs) what happened to this place? It looks like a bomb went off in here. And all of a sudden the order changed. We're like, now it's time to go back inside. And I'm like, oh man, how's this going to go? So Mr. Dodge and his amazing team put together several nights of volunteering and organizing and reconstructing. And as a result, we were able to come back in. But I remember during that time as I was preparing this sermon, like throughout the week, like on Monday, I'm like, okay, they got time. Tuesday, I'm like, eh. Wednesday, I'm like, okay, guys. And Thursday, I'm like, really, really? And by the end of the day, Friday, I'm like, okay, now this place looks like a church again. And then I said, wait, what did I just say? It's happening to me too. I mean, here I am going around coaching everybody that the church is not a building and the church is you and we're the church and God's presence and God's people. And then it just happened. I was like, now this looks like it's a church. I'm like, what? I think it's natural. I mean, we're in the United States of America. There's different cultural contexts depending on your experience with church and how familiar you are. But if you're in the U.S., you've probably seen a church building before. And there's a good chance you've been in one, whether it's for a wedding or a funeral or whatever. And you kind of have this mindset that like here, this structure, this building, this thing is what we call church. You know, there's like songs and talking and money and blah, 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 church. But what is the church. What is the church really? And I think that's one of these big things is this COVID reset button is done and say, hey, what is the church? Did the church just go out of business? Did we fail? Are we done? Is it over? What really is the church that belongs to Christ? Today, I hope to answer that question for us and It's an appropriate time because as we come back inside and we transition into our fall thing, what's going to happen is we were in the spring beginning to roll out our new mission and vision here at Midland Free, what the church will look like for us in this community. But then we, of course, had the COVID thing and things changed for a little bit. And now we're back and we want to pick up where we left off. But the way I want to do it is start out broad and just say, hey, what is the church And then over the next few weeks, we will narrow it down and hone it in to what does that look like for Midland Evangelical Free Church right here on North Jefferson. So I want to start broad and then bring it down. Today is the broad, but it helps us get there. And I think think it will be informative because regardless of who you are, you probably have something in your mind that 
means church. And more than likely, that's not actually what the Bible says church is. So let's pray together, and I will go through this with you. And as you can see, it's a little bit different. It's going to be a long slideshow this morning. For those of you who are visual learners, I think you're going to love it. If you're not, just hang with me. But the idea is look at the screens this morning because i got a lot of pictures coming up. And then after the pictures, I'll get to the application of the point. So let's pray as we go. Father, thank you uh, for today. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that I can hear the instrumentalist and the people sing. And we can be together, Lord, uh, this different way, but a good way. And we pray that you would bless us. Thank you that God is with us always and will never leave us or forsake us. Please be with us this morning in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. So, this morning, as I was thinking about this sermon, I never can figure out what to call a sermon. I mean, I got all these ideas and they go away and whatever. Initially I called it, what is the church? And that works. But maybe if I had a chance to rename it, I might rename it Emmanuel. I might rename today's sermon Emmanuel. Like, wait a minute, Pastor Jeremy. I remember that was a sermon you preached at Christmas time. Well, good job. Thanks for remembering. I appreciate that. But That's the thing, is often we think of this word, Emmanuel, which is a Hebrew word that means God with us, as a Christmas thing, because that's what Jesus is called, God with us. Jesus, God with us, we get that. But what we forget is that that God with us idea begins at the very beginning of time, before the foundations of the earth. In him we were chosen and predestined and called. Before the beginning, God planned. And therefore, based on that, we have to see this theme moving throughout Scripture. And this actually informs our understanding of what the church is. It's so motivating and encouraging because if we think of it as these other things, then we get discouraged. But when we go to the right spot, we're like, okay, now that makes sense. So Emmanuel, God with us, this is God's plan from the very beginning. Here's a slide. Here we go. God with us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. There was nothing, no space, no time, no matter, nothing that we imagine, no air, just God. And boom, God creates out of nothing. But God in his grace creates in such a way so as to give us the pleasure of being with him. And so in the Garden of Eden, he creates Adam and Eve and we begin to dwell and walk with him with no barrier of separation whatsoever. Hear that? No barrier. This is awesome. This is the best. There is no sin. There is no barrier. We're just with God. It's like being on this incredible high all the time. We are with the best thing that we could ever be with. There's God. But then, of course, you know how the story goes. We mess it up. Humanity sins, we fall. And as a result, we are banished from the wonderful presence of God. And things go from bad to worse. And what happens then is that God sees the beautiful land that he created and has to cleanse it of its evil. But God is not done with his creation, even though he had every right to be. He could have entirely destroyed it, but he decides to deliver one family, that of Noah, and he continues to promise these 
covenant promises, these faith-based promises down through various families. And the next one that we encounter is the family of Abram. And God makes a famous promise to Abram in Genesis chapter 12 where he says, Hey, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And here's all these amazing things that I have in store for you. But you know what? We often forget one of the greatest parts of that blessing that God gives to the Abrahamic line. I will be with you. I will be with you. Those blessings don't come without the presence of God. And that's what you begin to see in the Old Testament as God moves with his people. When God is with them, they're blessed. And when they move away from him, they're not blessed. And the closer they are, the more blessed they are. And we as physical, tangible human beings, we see blessing in you know, simple ways like more sheep, more oxen, more money, more family, more whatever. That's the way they saw it. But God is working with us and teaching us that the greatest blessing is actually himself, his presence. And so he's moving through this family of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who will later be called Israel, to bring that blessing of his presence back to humanity. And so through them, the covenant promises come. And as a result, you see the foreshadowing of things like the sacrifice of the son. You see the promises reiterated. And you watch this family as God develops his plan of redemption. Now, Israel, or Jacob's youngest son, was Joseph. And as you know, the family ran into some trouble. He went down to Egypt and was able to deliver them. But after a while, Joseph, this deliverer, this Christ type, this Jesus Savior figure, um, is gone. And as a result, he is forgotten and Pharaoh enslaves the people and gives them a really difficult spot. So, God sends another prophet, one who will also be a savior or deliverer. Um, his name is Moses, and Moses helps the people of Israel um, through God's process of deliverance, including the ten plagues. And so the exodus occurs around 1446 B.C. And as you know, they were supposed to take the shortcut, the short route, straight across, up along the coast of the Mediterranean, but instead they disobey and get to wander around in that God-forsaken wilderness for 40 years. Now that's important because we think, you know, oh, just cool stories, you know, Charlton Heston, Moses, Ten Commandments, whatever, I don't know. But what God is doing through this process is showing himself or revealing himself to his people as his presence goes with them and the way he does it here is through this structure called the tabernacle. Now here's a model of it. We look at it and say, oh, that's pretty cool, man. I wonder what's inside there. Well, let me take you in um, just a little bit closer. But let me also show you this. As we look at it on a computer graphic, we may think, wow, that must be huge. I mean, that must be gigantic. Actually, it looks a bit more like this. It's a tent. Uh, they're backpacking. They're walking. They're carrying their stuff. It's not going to be that gargantuan. It's going to probably look a little bit more like this. And inside of that tent, you're going to find a bunch of different stuff. One thing I really want to point out to you is the smoke at the top. That's the symbol of God's presence. And that was over the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. And I'll show you what all that looks like here in just a second. You can see all the labels on here. 
the temple, the brick lavers, the stuff. We'll go through those in just a minute. But here's the furniture. Now, why are you showing me furniture, Jeremy? I don't care about furniture. Well, the reason is because all this stuff is highly symbolic. And when we come back around to the church in the New Testament, even though we don't have this mercy seat up here, even though we don't have, you know, the table of showbread or the uh, altar of incense, all of these things come back in in the description of how Jesus functions as our high priest. How this works for us now is symbolized then. So it's the history that will drive us to the modern application. This enhances your experience of walking with God. So the first thing that you would probably encounter is um, you could encounter the um, altar of burnt offering where you're coming in to give your offering to the priest He's going to slaughter it, and then he'll wash and cleanse himself. You will hear those words in Hebrews again later. And then inside the um, holy place and the holy of holies, you will have these um, furnishings. Now, look, these three right here, these are in the holy place, and this one is in the holy of holies. So for these three, they're all in one room. This is in the other room. Nobody can touch this one. That's why there's... um, these bars on them because you can't touch this otherwise you'll die so in there you have 12 loaves 12 tribes you have the menorah and the altar of incense which has that um, burning incense raising up fumes or like prayers to god so um, here's a schemata like that and i'm going to try something here There we go. All right, this is your virtual tour. We're going to try this now just because we can, and it's fun. So here's the front gate that you would go in. I'm going to zoom in on that a little bit. So you'd walk in here, you'd bring your sacrifice, um, and then it would be slaughtered on one of these tables right over here. It would be burnt on the burnt offering, and... So then pretty much you're done. If you're a male, you can only go in here. If, and this is just the way God had it then. If you're a female, you're not going in these courts. Um, but then if you are a priest, um, particularly the high priest, you can move into these other parts of the worship. And that is after you offer the sacrifice, you wash your hands, and you can go past the first veil into the holy place, where we saw those um, furnishings we talked about earlier, the candlestick, table of showbread, and the altar of incense. Now, the next thing you see is this veil, and that veil goes into the Holy of Holies. So in the New Testament, when Jesus is um, offering his life on the cross and the veil is torn, that's the veil that we're referring to because previously you could not enter into the presence of God. Only one person in the entire nation got to go in one day per year after elaborate ritual. That is not the case now because Jesus has gone before. And so this veil was torn and then there is um, the Ark of the Covenant. So um, what that looks like in another way is like this. You see all these things, beautiful symbolism. This is where God's presence on top of the cherubim would dwell on the mercy seat. 
inside the Ark of the Covenant, you would find these contents as um, memorabilia to what God had delivered them from. This was Aaron's rod. And the jar contained manna. And then there were the Ten Commandments as well. We don't have this anymore. Sorry, Indiana Jones. There's no Holy Grail. It's gone. But um, this is what you would have been experiencing then if you were the people of Israel traveling through the wilderness to the promised land. And you would essentially be set up like this. Here's their schemata. In the middle is the tabernacle. Stationed all around them are the tribes. Why? Because the Lord encamps around those who fear him. God's presence goes with his people. If you want to be blessed, stay close to God. He intentionally grouped them like this so they can travel with him and be encouraged. And so the point um, that I'm trying to make here is this Emmanuel, this God's presence with his people. Now that happens in the tabernacle, and then they get into the land, and eventually they build a temple. It goes David, then Solomon, and Solomon builds this incredible temple But eventually, people aren't as interested in God anymore, even though they've got a really cool temple. So in other words, it's not the building that makes the people. So here's here's the um, thing that happens after that. The temple is destroyed by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar in 586, big date. And then after that, eventually, and you have the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, people get to return under the Persian king Cyrus the Great, And they begin to rebuild the temple just on the ruins. So scholars call that like the second temple. The first one was Solomon's. The next one's sort of a rebuilt thing and not really that great. And eventually what happens is it sort of decays. And when Rome is in power then, 500 years later, this guy Herod the Great's like, I want to curry favor with these people. And so he offers, I'll build you a new one. You know, vote for me. Here you go. Here's some money. Well, let's do this. He's trying to get their approval, and so he builds a great big new temple for them. So essentially, as New Testament believers, think of it like this. You go from the tabernacle, the mobile tent, to the temple of Solomon. Then you get to Herod's temple, and that's the one that Jesus would have entered into in Jesus' day. And this is what this um, would have looked like from a computer model. This is what it looks like in a modern model. And Jesus went in there. He turned over the tables, he chased out everybody, brought out the whip, because he was doing what? Wait, what'd you say? (laughs) He wasn't cleansing the temple, was he? We talked about that last week. He was, in fact, ending the temple. It was done. He was judging the temple. Jesus had come, and the temple was to be no more, because that was not to be the place where God's presence would dwell. And we have this written not only in our Bible, but also literally in stone. This is um, an arch that was raised um, to honor Titus and Vespian by by an emperor after their conquest of Jerusalem in 71 AD. And you can actually go to this arch and see there is on it, see if I find my cursor, here's the menorah, there's the silver trumpets, And somewhere in there is the table of showbread as well being carried out. So it's not only biblical history, it's also extra biblical as well. But anyways, this is your short summary. Tabernacle, Solomon, Herod, then Jesus, then church, which is where we are today. Now, 
the church is a term that was actually um, a familiar term at that time period. It was actually just ecclesia, gathering. It could apply to any gathering, like a political gathering or official assembly or something like that. But Jesus takes this term and he um, revamps it and adds new meaning to it. Now he's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the first time you hear this word church come up, what is the church? It's in Matthew where Jesus is giving that great promise to Peter and he says, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. What can stand against? Nothing. Not even the gates of hell. Jesus is going to build it. And then as he begins to build it, you see in Acts this exponential growth. And that's why that bar is so high in that graph because they're always talking about the church in Acts. There's 1 Corinthians and the church in Revelation too because you're written to the seven churches. But in between there, you see that each of these New Testament letters are written to local bodies just like us. Like to the church in Galatia, to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Philippi, to the church in Colossae, to the church, you know, all over the place, here's the Lord's word to you. But their churches obviously would have looked different than ours. They wouldn't have a gym. They wouldn't have basketball goals. They wouldn't have cool lights. Instead, they would be in something like this. They would be meeting in a church. And probably modeled on the synagogue because that's what they were familiar with is this continuation and culmination and so they would have gathered they'd have separate rooms and probably it's a it's a house of someone in the congregation who has a larger house and that's how they would have met and so what this tells me is i'll get to that in just a minute so here's the point god's people gathered together in his presence, looking, looking forward um, to the future fulfillment. And so essentially, to end this slideshow, this is the last one I'll show you, the way it moves is, the way all of God's revelation moves is, it goes from the Garden of Eden to the tabernacle, to the temple, to the church, to the new creation. That's how God's Emmanuel presence, of course there's Christ in the middle there, but that's how God's presence moves with his people. And so in the new creation, we will be with him forever in paradise, just like in Eden. And that's a good place. So what are the implications of that then? Let me then apply it to us here at Midland Free. Here's here's what that means, I believe. There are three things based on that, that actually affects us today. And they are these. The first is that we are a body, not a building. Number one is that we are a body, not a building. Number two is that we are a family, not a free-for-all. We are a family, not a free-for-all. And number three is that we are a kingdom, not consumers. We are kingdom, not consumers. So there's three of them, body, family, kingdom. And I'll walk those out here as we go. So earlier I said, what are the implications of that? Here's the implication. Um, Number one, we are a body, not a building. Look at 1 Corinthians 6.19. See what this says. It says this up on the screen. 
Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. As we watch the presence of God with his people, initially he's in the Garden of Eden, but then there's separation. But then that spirit, that presence of God goes with them in the tabernacle. But in the New Testament, there's a change. And that change is the tabernacle now is you, that your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Therefore, listen to Hebrews that I was um, referring to earlier. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says this, Therefore, since we have confidence, then we ourselves, not the priest, not somebody else, we ourselves can enter the holy place, remember that holy place, by the blood of Jesus, not by blood and calves and goats, but by the blood of Jesus in the new and living way that he opened us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of the faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from that labor, from that basin, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us then hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, in the next two verses, here's the two verses that you hear if you're in the religious circles, batted around nowadays all the time, debated and argued about because we had a temporary shutdown for COVID. Look at the context in which they're in. It says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but instead encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see, the day drawing near. Well, you're being unfaithful because the church shut down. No, it didn't. The church never closed. The church never, ever closed. Our building closed. But the church is not a building. The church is a body. The church is people. And when we were out there on the grass, guess what we were? A church. And we were meeting together in our homes or privately as individuals. Guess what we were? A church. Just like the home up on that screen. Just because we're not in this building does not mean we're not a church. We are the church. People are the church. You have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling presence inside of you. This is not the church. Pastor Jeremy, you're wrong. <laughs> this doesn't look like a church. We are the church. The church never closed. Do you remember what Jesus said? The gates of hell. COVID is nowhere close. It's bad. We don't like it. It's a bother for sure. But the gates of hell themselves will not prevail against the church. Thank you. We are the body of Christ, and that body cannot be killed or destroyed. It's a resurrected body. Most bodies don't die. And if, if you think the church is closed just because we left the building, you need to ask what's happening to the people in Saudi Arabia or Iran, North Korea. They're not meeting in groups greater than 20. And yet, they're the church too, just like that one group that meets under a palm tree in Uganda. The church is God's people. It's not a building, it's a body. 
It is our body. And so when we gather together, it's a wonderful thing because the body is together. There's some Holy Spirit in me and some Holy Spirit in you. And the more Holy Spirit we get in the room, the better it is. And we're encouraged. We're built up. And that's what this text says to do. Do you see this? It says, not neglecting why, but to encourage one another. To build each other up. To stir one another to love and good works. It's an affirming time when you come into the presence of God. Look, I know people are people. We're sinful, and sometimes it's not fun to be around each other. We're a family. We mess up. We don't always get it right. But somehow, with God and His Holy Spirit, His almighty supernatural power and His grace overcomes all of our yuck such that when we come together, we go away better. Because there's power in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's in you and the Holy Spirit's in me. We're a body. And you can't break that body apart. You've got to keep it coming together. So be faithful. The church is not a building that was never closed. One body with many members. Now that has implications. I could go on and on about 1 Corinthians 12. But you know how body works. If your foot's not working... Well, then your knee doesn't feel right, and then your hip doesn't feel right, and then your back doesn't feel right, and you don't feel right. You need that foot to go, right? So it is with every single interconnected part. Have one go bad, and you know how the rest of you feels. We need the body to be together, and we need the body to be the body. And I recognize it's different right now. I'm glad the kids get to worship with us. I'm glad we get to see each other. I'm glad that God has given us this opportunity to step back and say, hey, what is real? Now is the time for us to be the body, to be the church, not go to church, be the church. First Corinthians chapter 12, look, we're a body, not a building. Secondly, we are a family, not a free-for-all. We're a family, not a free-for-all. Now, I understand that family can have a lot of connotations, right? That could be like, ooh, love family. That could be like, ooh, family. <laughs> not so much. But the way the Bible describes family, the way it was set up before sin came in with Adam and Eve is as a wonderful and beautiful thing with perfect unity, harmony, and love. No one was better than anybody, but there was clear structures and roles. It was based on the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. They're all equal, they're all worthy of worship, but they do different things. And so there is order. There is unity, order, harmony, and love, perfect, perfect symmetry. That is what a biblical family should be. Of course, none of us are, but we're moving towards that. And if we use that as our model, then we say within a church, a church is a family. Like, there should be loyalty. There should be commitment. There should be sacrifice. There should be sacrifice. It should be a place of encouragement. It's a place you want to be, where you feel built up and better as a result. But it's not a free-for-all. You know, I mean, sometimes you've got to pick up your shoes or take your plate to the sink or take out the trash. <laughs> you don't get to do whatever you want. And in fact, there's leadership there. In fact, if you look at the Bible, such is the case for the church family too. Acts 20 verse 28 says this. The Holy Spirit did this. Watch what he did. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit did that. You know, I know church leadership has been abused, and I know that sometimes there's bad guys in churches, for sure. But the Holy Spirit does provide leaders for his church, and he's provided leaders for our church. 
And as such, we need to come together around that leadership, listen to what they're doing. They're dealing with a hard data set, doing their best, but the reality is they love you and are there because they serve you. God has put this in play, and so as a result, we need to be willing to go along with it. A family is not a free-for-all. You don't get to do whatever you want in a family. Sometimes somebody is going to tell you no, right? Not everybody gets their way all the time. In the new membership seminar class I teach, I used to be like, okay, let's go through the Constitution, the bylaw, doctrinal statement, na 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 here's how we function, business meeting in June. <laughs> and now I'm like, wait, how many people have ever come to me and said, Pastor Jeremy, I'm leaving this church because Article 3, Section 24 of the bylaws? <laughs> exactly. Never. What happens when you cancel XYZ? Almost said something there. Bye-bye. <laughs> why, why were you at the church? Somebody at some point is going to tell you no, and I know that there are people who have been at Midland Free for 30, 40 years, and it is awesome. I am so thankful you're here. I'm sure that someone at some point has told you no, we can't do that. And I am so thankful that you're committed to stay even when you don't get what you want. That shows maturity. That's a real relationship, too, in a marriage or anything else. You know, somebody doesn't get what they want, well, see you later, go on to the next one. In America, we got enough churches, you can do that. But here's the thing. Let's say it's a soccer ministry. We need to have a soccer ministry. Sorry. We got this big field. Sorry. No, it's soccer. We got to do soccer. Sorry. Well, I'm going to the next church. Okay. Lord bless you. Because you know what happens. What you win them with you win them too. What you win them with, you win them too. And all of a sudden, you take away that soccer ministry and where they go? Wherever there's a soccer ministry. But what if instead of churches trying to compete for all the sheep and offer services, we just said, we want to win them to Jesus. Would that be okay? What you win them with, you win them too. And he's not going away. Soccer ministry might. You know, the candle lighters might. The whatever. But Jesus ain't leaving. He already told us that. What you win them with, you win them too. And I know we want to attract people and we want to bring them in. And we get guilty of this in church leadership. We're like, okay, we got to offer this. We got to offer this. But all of a sudden, we're not acting like a family. We're acting like consumers. The church is not about consumers. It's about a kingdom. Let me show you the difference. So number one, we're a body, not a building. Number two, we're a family, not a free-for-all. Number three, we're about kingdom, not consumers. If we're about a consumer experience, then we're like the mall. We welcome people in and we say, here, there are various options. Feel free to choose. Whichever you'd like. I hope it pleases you. Please come back. We want your business. Here's a free sample. Try my store. You know, bring them in. Hook, get them hooked. And people like it. They can stay. If not, they go somewhere else. We're not a movie theater. When people come down, I know we sit, someone talks, and we go away, but we are not in exchange for service. We're not an oil change. Instead, what we are is we are a kingdom outpost. We're a spot placed in a specific place 
that God has designed for us to be on mission. We're like a joint forward operating base. We are out there in enemy, enemy territory, and we come together to fill up and resupply and get a plan and go out. That's absolutely essential. I actually have a little bit of hobby horse. I get kind of bothered when people say, church is a holy huddle. Well, you know what? Every huddle I've looked at, they got dirt and mud all over their knees and blood on their face and sweat coming off their brow. That huddle is important because as soon as they turn around, they're going to get hit. But they need that huddle to figure out what they're going to do in order to go forward. The church actually is a huddle. It's supposed to be a huddle. We're supposed to come together with people on your team and get riled up and go out and bam, get the other team. Because here we are stationed purposely in Midland and mid-Michigan to go about God's business because we are about a kingdom, not consumers. But you know how it goes in America. We do everything like consumers. And so people go church shopping, exactly right. And they come in and they think, oh, do I like the music? Do I like the preaching? Do I like the children's program? Do I like this? Do I like that? What if? What if you actually went to a church and said, man, their music stunk. I should probably go here so that I could help them out. What if you actually went somewhere where they didn't have what you have to offer? And the whole reason for your going there is so that you could serve them. That would be different, wouldn't it? But most of the time it's the opposite, isn't it? I mean, we go looking around to see, I like this, we like that. What works for me? Okay, I think I'll fit. What if we actually chose a church based on what the church needed? How much do we care for the bride of Christ? It's a body, not a building. We need to love her and beautify her and offer her everything we can. But let me not beat up on us too long. I know my time is almost up, so just say this in closing. The beautiful thing about being the body of Christ is that we have that guarantee that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And as a result, you can be sure that even though, just like a family, we're stinky and we bother each other sometimes, reality is the gates of hell will not prevail against us. I mean, they try, don't they, right? I mean, we've probably never really experienced hell, but we've been bothered for sure. We've run into trouble and it's not easy. And it's not all natural. Some of it's supernatural. But the reality is, no matter how much we are opposed, Jesus promises the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Emmanuel, God with us. Because God's presence is with and in his people. It is a good thing to be a part of the church. And what that means for us is that we are a body, not a building. We are a family, not a free-for-all. And we are a kingdom, not consumers here at Midland Free this is what it's going to look like for the um, foreseeable future going ahead our vision says this we aspire to be a gospel centered family that is our hope that is our glory that is our joy that is our substance that is the one thing we have that nobody else in the world has the gospel 
Other people have lights and music and song and dance. But what does the church really offer? The gospel. We aspire to be a gospel-centered family where everyone we encounter just takes one step closer to the presence of God, Jesus. And we will do this through our mission, which is to enjoy and glorify God, to embrace his word and engage the world. And we will not do it randomly or haphazardly, but instead, not by fear nor by criticism, but instead being led by the Holy Spirit. Everyone will welcome, plug in, and use their gifts and reach out. Father, we thank you and praise you for Jesus, your only Son. Thank you for your word, which is true and unfailing. Thank you for the assurance that you give the church. Lord, I pray as we sing today what can stand against that you will remind us again of your great power and your great love. God, you're good. You're in control. And you win. In Jesus' name, amen.